Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Pat Solver with the American Journal of Managed Care. It's time for my monthly podcast, and we have a real treat today because we're going to talk to Don Berwick, uh, who is the uh, currently the President Emeritus and Senior Fellow of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, which actually he created, founded, and led for a long time before he went to become the administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services um, in the Obama administration. He's a pediatrician who served on the faculty at Harvard Medical School and the Harvard School of Public Health and a number of other prestigious uh, institutions. He was actually appointed honorary knight commander of the British Empire by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II in recognition of his work with the British National Health Service in 2005. Uh, So welcome, Don. Uh, nice to be with you, Pat. Thanks for the chance to join you. Uh, I thought we'd start out. We're going to talk mainly about single payer today, but I thought that it would be helpful to just bring our listeners up to date on exactly where we're at, because we've had several health reform bills that failed to pass this year, and we know that the administration and Congress have continued to try to really undermine the um, Affordable Care Act. So I was wondering, Don, if you could kind of let us know what's the current state of health care reform as of today? Sure. Well, as people know, since the day the Affordable Care Act was passed, uh, its opponents have been working to try to undo it uh, through serial votes to repeal during the Obama administration and the early years of the, the, the early months of the Trump administration. Uh, those repeal efforts were pretty sweeping. They, 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 they were trying to use mechanisms that would essentially defund the subsidies that people get in the exchanges. They would uh, reduce uh, Medicaid expansion back to where it was uh, and undercut other elements. They've already cut the present prevention funding in the Affordable Care Act uh, through other mechanisms. Uh, the attempt to pass a repeal and replace bill failed. Uh, famously uh, with John McCain's vote against uh, the most recent version. Uh, That has not gone away. It's continuing. And on the statutory side, what we've seen recently is the incorporation of a repeal of the individual mandate, which is embedded in the the Senate, currently in the Senate version of the uh, tax reform bill. Uh, Meanwhile, the administration has done what it can administratively to undercut uh, the Affordable Care Act in in a number of ways. Most recently, for example, uh, during the open enrollment period in which people can can exercise their eligibility for coverage under the Affordable Care Act, um, they cut the duration of the enrollment period. They cut the funding for advertising for enrollment by 90%. They shut down the website for enrollment for uh, a 12-hour period each week, uh, allegedly for servicing the website. Uh, th- this right uh, on Sundays, right when most people have time Sundays, to go over and right. do this. Yeah, uh, th- this stood a chance of undercutting enrollment. In fact, actually, enrollment was very healthy, but probably would have been healthier without that. Um, the other thing that is going on is is, if, is uh, less diligence in in enforcing elements of the Affordable Care Act regarding the nature of insurance packages and uh, transparency provisions and things like that. So there's there are two there are two sort of battles underway. One is statutory, trying to get something in law that would repeal a component or all of the Affordable Care Act that has not gone away, and the second are these administrative 
uh, maneuvers, which actually do weaken uh, elements of the Affordable Care Act. And I think that's there's no sign of that abating. Uh, and indeed, the current candidate for HHS secretary has continued to declare his opposition to the Affordable Care Act. And it's interesting that as this continues, uh, that finally uh, the public does seem to have decided that the Affordable Care Act is a good thing after all, as, as, as opposed to a bad thing, which, um, you know, a lot of the polls, particularly from the Kaiser um, uh, Family Foundation came out and, you know, it looked like people didn't like it. But now it seems like they do like it right when it's at most risk of going away. Yes, Pat. Um, Actually, you know, the polls for for a long time have shown support for the for what's in the Affordable Care Act. For example, people want to make sure that coverage is assured for people with even with pre-existing conditions. They want uh, their kids covered under parents' policies till age 26. They're even in favor of Medicaid expansion uh, so that people of very low income can get care. Those have, those have always had enjoyed quite a bit of public support, uh, even though people rather inconsistently would say, I want this, but I don't want the Affordable Care Act. I think what's happened now is real public education. The public can become aware of what actually is the Affordable Care Act, what it does, and realize that on the whole, it, it's it's a it's a pretty good law for an all, a lot of people. So you're right; the, the 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 tide has turned in public support. Whether that'll be reflected in congressional action, we do not yet know. Right. Well, that'll be interesting. So, um, given all the controversy that we had around the ACA, which is really um, uh, not as controversial as um, what we've heard over many years about single payer. Um, Let's talk about single payer. I know that you're an advocate of single payer and um, SMI. And uh, where are we at? I think there's a placeholder bill. But I don't see much language in, involved with it. Um, uh, and I have no idea where where we're at in terms of people actually working on it. Can you um, fill us in on where we're at right now with the efforts to transition to single payer? Yeah, rather rather surprisingly, it, it has reached quite a bit of public discourse. And at the state level in, say, Massachusetts and California and some other states, there's been quite a bit of public support for exploring the idea. There's a bill in the Massachusetts legislature right now which would establish a, um, a sort of commission to uh, study the effect of single payer in Massachusetts on costs and quality. And, and the, one of the versions of that bill says that if the findings of that inquiry were positive, that is higher quality and lower cost that the 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 um, legislature would would then proceed to uh, to implement a uh, single payer or to, or to take steps toward it in the state that's that's pretty surprising um, you know I think the one of the most important things to do first in in exploring the question Pat is to define what this is about what does single payer mean because there there's a lot of misapprehension I think about it and in fact even among single payer advocates a lot of different versions of the idea. The basics have to do with the flow of money, payment for healthcare, which in the United States, uh, more than in most other countries, is very fragmented. The, the way we pay for healthcare is through all sorts of different channels. Uh, Medicare for about 50 million people, Medicaid for about 50 million people, the Children's Health Insurance Program, the Veterans Administration, the Department of Defense, through private commercial insurance if you're employed, uh, through uh, now exchanges, uh, public exchanges if you're an, an individual who isn't doesn't have employer coverage uh, for for people of very low income or people in nursing homes, uh, Medicaid coverage. Um, it, it's it's really quite a 
quite a pluralistic system. And in the commercial side, of course, many different insurance companies. And the result is a pretty confusing uh, system for payment. And, and pretty uh, expensive on, on the part of people yeah. who are trying to figure out how to properly submit and get paid for their services, submit bills and get paid. Yeah, the studies of the degree to which it's expensive have come up with pretty dramatic figures. <clears throat> for example, my colleague, Professor David Cutler at uh, Harvard, um, a couple of years ago, testified before Congress. Uh, it, I think his figure was something between 300 and $400 billion a year associated with administrative Costs largely relating to this complex billing. Every different, every insurer has its own form, its own coding. It it is a cost. It's all benefit design. Yeah, yeah. So you have to figure out a lot of stuff before you push the paper on the provider side and the patient side. I mean, people know that you know they get these massive uh, booklets that nobody ever reads that describe their insurance policies in small print and fifty pages. Uh, and then when something, when you do actually want to use your insurance, uh, there's uh, sometimes a lot of hoops to go through is the claims are denied and then you appeal and they're approved or not. It's pretty complicated. So that's expense without value. Uh, the, it's not really clear that all of that complexity adds much. The, the proponents of it argue, well, it adds competition. There are different insurers and you get to choose among them or, uh, and so on, but the evidence is that it's it's just pretty expensive and pretty confusing. So and, one and of the actually, ideas, aren't we really now an oligopoly when it comes to health plans? I mean, when I first started in this business, and the same with you, there were you know every every state had you know a number of different health plans, but now there's been so much consolidation. We're really not talking about major competition in most markets, are we? There are small insurers, but they're, they're, you're right. The market's dominated by a, by a relatively small number of big ones, United, your, your local Blue Cross plan, Aetna, Cigna. But um, actually within those insurers, there, there's a panoply of policies. I mean, you, you know, get on, get on their website and you'll find dozens and dozens of different kinds of policies, which are confusing. You know, I, I must say, I hope this doesn't embarrass me to say it, but I, I don't understand them. I mean, I've, 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 got my insurance policies and uh, uh, through the years, and they've always been rather opaque. I remember one of my kids needed a test. I'm a pediatrician. I, I know she needed the test, and the insurer denied coverage of the test, and I couldn't find anyone to explain why or how. I, you know, it was very hard to figure out. The appeal process was confusing. So the single-payer idea is what it sounds like, which is why not simplify? Why not have one channel of payment? We do have that. It's called Medicare. If you're over 65, and at least for a traditional Medicare, there's one payer. That, that's the system that I uh, was the administrator of for a year and a half for President Obama. And you know, when I went to work, I, there were 47 million Medicare beneficiaries. And for the ones in me- traditional Medicare, about three quarters of them, I, you know, I, my organization was the payer. It was one form, one set of codes. That's it. Much lower overhead costs, much simpler. Uh, prompter payment, by the way, if you're a, a provider, you're getting paid probably faster by Medicare than by other, by other, by other payers. It's just simpler. It's also more, could be more accountable. So you, you have, especially if it's a public function, you have rules. You have to show your prices. You have to show results. You have to share your data, uh, unlike the private insurance systems, which don't do any of that. So the single payer oh, ideas have to go through one channel. It's not. So one of the problems that I have done, excuse me for interrupting, but um, is is figuring out. So we we talked about the, this oligopoly that we have with these, you know, huge 
consolidated health plans, even though they, you know, you may have United California, you know, by state, it's still, you know, one parent company. And these guys have lots of money and they're not going to go away easily. So how do you envision um, a single payer, say a government payer or Medicare for all, and, and what's going to happen to these, to, to all these other health plans? I mean, they are going to fight this tooth and nail if they think it's going to impact their business. Oh, they have, and they will. Um, th- this is a big, a big uh, industry. It's one and a half million people, I think, employed uh, by insurance companies. They have stockholders. They have executives. Uh, they ha- who are used to, you know, considerable pay, pay packages. They have big buildings. They, they've got legacy here. So of course they, they they don't they and they believe they add value. So they're they're they don't they're not silent about this. And for most of the history of our nation, they have successfully opposed uh, the entry of the of of uh, the government as a payer, and certainly would strongly do strongly oppose single payment. They think they add value that that would be lost. Uh, so that's the political side of the battle. Should should the public decide that they do want simplification, they want less waste, they want the single payer, they want Medicare for everybody, which is what it sort of amounts to, there, there has to be a transition, a just transition, which would allow these, uh, this workforce to end up on its feet through retraining or other methods. The companies themselves, there may be residual roles. For example, uh, rather than set up an enormous new government uh, function, you might hire some of these legacy insurers to be the the uh, administrative vehicles. They have the computers. They they have the the data systems, and it will be possible for them to be basically manage the transactions, but no longer as for profit um, entities with competing uh, competing uh, uh, channels of payment. So I'm I was going to say, Pat, if I can just say the confusion. There is a confusion here that I'd like to get to before we move on, and that is. When I when I began uh, supporting this idea as one well worth our considering and, and trying, uh, I realized a lot of the public thinks that single payer means a government run health care system that that as if the government owned all the hospitals and employed all the doctors and there was only one care system instead of your local community hospital or, or several. That's not the case. You could do that. Some countries have chosen government-run health care in addition to a single-payer. But the single-payer argument isn't about the care. It's about the payment. And, and, I, and I think it, it's helpful for people to become really clear about that. It's a different matter to say the government will run your health care to say that there will be a single-payer environment for payment for health care. Sure, because a lot of the arguments are, oh, do you, do you really want your healthcare to be run like the, you know, the Department of Motor, Motor Vehicles or some other kind of government-run entity that we all equate with lines and inefficiency and all of that kind of stuff? So I think that's a very important point. So, Don, um, we're the only country, I think, uh, in the developed world that doesn't have universal coverage. And there's lots of models, and they're all different. Canada isn't the same as the U.K., isn't the same as France. Um which of those systems do you think works particularly well? And interestingly to me, um, are any of those are, are any of those models that would be uh, acceptable in in America, or are we going to have to have something that's just unique to us? Well, we'll inevitably end up with something unique to America. We don't no other country has our history or our current structure, and we have to move from the status quo to a new future. Um, also, notice, there, although we're the only developed 
democracy in the West that, that doesn't have universal coverage. Every other country guarantees healthcare as a human right virtually. We don't. Um, we need to. Not all chose single payer as the route. Uh, Germany, France, Switzerland, they have multi-payer systems. There are a lot of different insurers. They're, they're, the government is the insurer of last resort. It always will cover you if nobody else will. Uh, other countries like Sweden or uh, or or Denmark or or Scotland or England, they use there is a single payer, uh, a government in all those cases. Uh, they differ also though. Sweden's single payer is at the county level, and there are twenty, I think, twenty one or so counties in Sweden, and each is its own uh, its own payer. There's a county executive was as if they as if they that was their CMS head at the county level. England does it at the national level. Um, so does Scotland. Uh, at a much lower, much smaller scale, uh, there are 50 million people in England, only 5 million in Scotland. So, but there's a lot of my point is there's a lot of variation, and I think one of the great things we can do in this journey toward the American answer is to study these different environments and, and notice their strengths and their weaknesses. My own favorite probably is is the Swedish system. It, it's at the county level, you know, 300,000, 400,000, sometimes a million people in a county. General taxes support the health care because it's at the county level. It's very close to the people. So the Swedish system tends to be very responsive to community needs. Uh, England, on the other hand, is covers at 50 million people. And there's a much more complex way in which the payment reflects the needs of communities. But I think the point is, let's learn from this variation and then let's invent our American version that works for us in our history. But I have a question, and this is a personal question, because I'm a member of Kaiser Permanente, which, of course, is a integrated delivery system. They have the health insurance, the hospitals, the providers, every, everybody all under one. They're individual separate entities, but from the consumer point of view, it feels like it's all under one umbrella. And I have Kaiser Permanente because I was a Kaiser physician and physician executive, and it's a part of my retirement plan. And I'm actually really, really happy with it. Um, what would happen to me if single payer comes into effect? Well, hopefully, if it was done correctly, uh, Kaiser Permanente would survive as a provider of care. So number one is there's no reason why that entity as a, as a care delivery system would go away. On the contrary, I would claim a single payer that went looking for a delivery system to offer to the to the beneficiaries would would lunge at the best of Kaiser Permanente. In fact, think of it this way: a single payer environment could make Kaiser Permanente available to everyone if they wanted it. Um, the the other side of one of the reasons why Kaiser Permanente is pleasant to you as an environment to both get care in and to be seen as a, and to be a doctor in is because it is a single payer for its enrolled population, which is what about eleven or twelve million people. I don't remember the number now, but it it is a single payer private sector organization that is one channel of payment. And as you know, the, because it, it, Kaiser Permanente is able to work with a, a pot of money for care of its population, it can do wonderfully inventive things. That's why it's so good at prevention. That's why it, it, it has one of the best trackers, track records we know for proper screening procedures. That's why it's able to focus on wellness and uh, thriving for its population. That's because it has a budget that it can then allocate correctly to try to meet the needs of its people. It's not perfect, I'm sure, but it's a much more flexible environment. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think that, and I, I, I'd have to think about how this would work and maybe you could explain it to me, you know, because they have the insurance arm as well as the provider arm, they've been able to align 
um, the the benefits, the way the benefits are designed are aligned with the way the care is delivered. So for most of us who are Kaiser Permanente members, we, you know, we never, well, we don't see bills for one thing. And uh, most of the time you get the care you need. And I recently had a, a developed a, a rare eye condition and I needed a referral to Stanford and it was handled, you know, completely seamlessly about the only thing that I ran into was uh, they evidently only gave me three visits to Stanford, but they never told me that. Uh, so that's the only minor um, flaw that I saw in the whole thing. So it, it would, it, I would hope that if we transition to single payer, because I know all of my friends who are in, uh, in, you know, not at Kaiser Permanente, but are in for-profit health plans, they, they would tell you that their experience is 180 degrees different from what I'm experiencing. And I would like everybody to have a more integrated, uh, uh, consistent kind of, of ex experience. Um, but the question really is, how do you go from what we have now, you know, that some people, there are probably other people who are happy like I am. Um, uh, how do we go from this what, is, what are the actual steps do you see to go from what we have now into a single payer, assuming we'd be able to get that um, passed through uh, Congress? Well, happily, and I can't answer the question politically because that the politics of this, as we said earlier, there's going to be a lot of opposition. But technically, we have a very good thinking going on in the country now about how to do this. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, as you know, has proposed a single payer for the nation, and he has a very active group now working on the questions about, well, how do you, what are the step-by-step -step processes through which you could migrate from the multi-payer system to a single payment? The state of California is doing the same inquiry. So we're going to have some really good analyses in our hands of the steps to take. One such approach could be the expansion of Medicare. Uh, we have this government system. It is very highly valued. It's the most popular, one of the most popular government programs in our nation's history Medicare, and you could increase eligibility for Medicare stepwise, lower the age entry. Right now, it's you have to be over 65. What about 55, 45? You could create Medicare for children. In other words, you could take steps that would incorporate larger and larger groups of the population under the Medicare umbrella. I would say, back to your story about Kaiser Permanente, one of the really important points here is to make sure that the functions of that enlarged uh, payment system have all the aspects you just talked about at Kaiser Permanente, that it really values integrated care, that it creates smooth flows, that it's agile. All of that's possible. And in fact, I pay, in my opinion, far more possible than in a, in a disaggregated multi-payer commercial environment. Yeah, I agree. Would you see if we did Medicare for all, which seems to me the simplest approach, because it would, you talked about how we'd need to phase this in and there would be an easier mechanism to phase it in by just expanding various age groups. Um, so if you if we did that, would you see that there'd still be a role for private Medicaid, like the Medicare Advantage plans, or would you see those going away and, and ending up with everybody being in more of a traditional kind of a Medicare program? That's a tough call. Um, I think that there's some advantage to having the Medicare Advantage option. It allows people to choose um, a coverage that is much more integrated coverage than it is in the traditional system. You're getting out of the fee-for-service system. But frankly, I, I would I would rather see all of Medicare migrate away from fee-for-service and toward the kind of population-based payment that you have at Kaiser Permanente. So in a, in a way, it, it, the 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 attributes we're after with Medicare Advantage, which is which is coverage of coordinated care, um, would be persisting without the presence of the for-profit 
um, individual insurance companies. Um, there's no reason why a, a single payer, a government or a quasi-governmental single payer, couldn't act like a really, really great health plan. And, um, yeah, so this is interesting as I think about what some of the plans have done uh, when you talked about what the role is, because these huge institutions don't just collapse and <laughs> disappear. They're, they're going to have to have some kind of role, and plus you described already how many people work for them. Um, if you phased it in over a long enough period of time, I look at, for example, United and the, what the work that they've done to develop Optum, which is a whole series of services that conceivably as you know, a governmental-run single-payer program could contract with. Um, do, do you see that as one possible way that, the, <laughs> that you could ameliorate some of the concerns of the plans in terms of remaining, you know, viable entities? I don't know. I don't really believe it would ameliorate their concerns, but I think, yes, we could, we could preserve that kind of pluralism that is offer options for coverage of highly integrated care systems. Remember, what we're trying to do here is help our nation evolve into care delivery that's actually patient-centered, under the control of patients, highly coordinated, seamless, and lower cost at the same time, higher quality and lower cost. And we want to do it with a single payer. We'd want to go looking for that. The single payer would be a, an advocate for the public, a buyer in the market saying what we want is team-based, coordinated, prevention-oriented, patient-controlled care uh, from everybody. It becomes a smart purchaser. And uh, so uh, the final thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, Don, is that there are a lot of people like me who kind of lost track of really where the single payer thing, it got drowned out sort of in the noise of all the other things that are going on in government. Uh, so I'm very heartened to hear that Massachusetts is paving the way with, um, it sounds like, a lot of um, investigations that can serve as knowledge for going forward in California as well, although I live in California in the last I read about what was going on in California was that the cost was going to be astronomical. Um, but how, how can people like myself get involved in helping to move this single-payer agenda along? Well, first, in Massachusetts, the bill has not passed. It's, it's, uh, it, I believe it, will, it has passed the Senate, but it, uh, it has passed the House and may not. So Massachusetts still has a way to go. Um, I, I think the first thing to do is exactly what you're doing now, which is inform yourself. If you're a person who is intrigued by this idea of simplifying the way we pay for care so it can be more sensible, then study up. Learn what the vocabulary means. Look at the difference between single payer and single provider of care. Ask the same questions you're asking, Pat, about coordinated care. What would be the benefit structure under single payer? What do you want covered under a single payer? Go to, go to school. I think I think then it's a political matter. I think you this is a time when the federal government is not apparently going to step up into this realm, but states are in, are curious. So find the representatives and senators in your state legislature who are showing some interest in this and go help them. Talk with them, uh, speak at hearings, uh, invite them to speak in your community, and then let's have an era now of public um, discourse and education to support the uh, legislators who are interested in moving in this direction. Um, and then remember, this is this is going to be a learn as we go process. And I think that it's it's very important to remain open minded as we as we try. Hopefully, some states will begin to try moves toward this, and so we can learn to see which models are are more favorable than others. Uh, but nothing beats becoming an informed participant in this debate right now. Well, um, that's fantastic. Is there anything else we need to know about single payer? Um, 
I, I think that the um, look at the data. Uh, I think that the I wasn't always an advocate for this. I, in fact, I, I switched only recently, and that's because I saw the data, the cost data, and I knew how difficult it is to manage on behalf of patients in a very complex environment. We need some simplification here. So, you know, study the study the facts. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you very much, Don. I know you're a busy man, and um, it was really informative. And uh, as this goes down the path, hopefully, we'll be able to have you come back and uh, we'll continue the conversation. I'd be delighted to do it anytime, Pat, and thank you very much for letting me join you.